you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. It is good to be with you this morning. We loved our 22 years serving with the International Mission Board. It is a very biased recommendation coming from me saying the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is a good investment and a good partnership with the IMB. You have been faithful in giving and I'm glad to see your goal that you have up there. I want to encourage you to give to that. Um, My wife and I, we served in uh, India and Bangladesh and Pakistan and Nepal. We call it the South Asia block over there. We just kept moving from country and and, uh, working in all those areas there. We worked alongside some good people like Randy and Debbie Owens, who uh, are also from this church. You have a long history, a good history of uh, supporting missions, not only financially, but putting those young people into the plate and sending them over to the other side of the world as well. There are some other former IMB missionaries here among us, and so it's a good investment. I do want to put a plug in also a little bit more on the International Mission Board, and as you, because they do belong to you. You're Southern Baptist, and uh, these are your missionaries. There's a lot of mission agencies out there. We would work alongside them on the mission field out there. Good folks, good organizations. But I do want to say that uh, each of these organizations have something to offer to the mission field out there and getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. The IMB has also contributed to uh, the part of the mission endeavor. And I just wanted to point that out to you that uh, Whenever you're working, like in India, um, there's 1.5 billion people mostly lost in India. And when you're living there and looking out at millions and millions of lost people, something runs through your head. If I work trying to start a church in my missionary career out here, I will be missing so many lost people. Is there not a better way? Is there a faster way of getting the gospel not out there in addition, one church after another, but is there a way that we could work a little faster with multiplication? And so the International Mission Board has been a champion of that, has uh, some case studies, and they've put people in uh, positions out there where we've seen multiplication. For example... In the late 80s, there was a missionary, a Texan from Lubbock that went with the International Mission Board to North India to work among the Bhojpuri Hindus. This is a very, very large people group of Hindus over there in North India around Varanasi and Lucknow area there. Well, he started working there, and um, before you know it, a movement took place. And uh, today, we, we've sent our teams in there to research this. Over a million Bhojpuri Hindus have come to faith in Christ. It was missionaries like that that began to teach younger missionaries coming on, hey, there's a different way. So there's another missionary that, with the International Mission Board that spent a long time in Hong Kong 
trying to, waiting for the day, the opportunity to launch out of Hong Kong. This is before China absorbed it. And trying to launch from Hong Kong into China. He uh, finally got his chance. A factory owner in Hong Kong said, I own some factories down in China. You go there, you can start preaching among the factory workers there. Today, we have sent many missionary teams to go in there and investigate. We can trace over 3 million lost Chinese who have come to faith in Christ connected to this missionary. And this missionary is connected to you because you supported that missionary. This missionary's training is called T for T, training for trainers. And so uh, around the world in the mission uh, field, everybody is using a a training called T for T. It came from a Southern Baptist uh, missionary. Holly and I had the privilege of working with Muslims in the little country of Bangladesh. Uh, It's the size of Arkansas. Take half the U.S. population and put that in Arkansas, and you have Bangladesh, a very, very overcrowded uh, country full of Muslims. We began working there. The Lord actually, uh, I didn't have to learn how to do multiplication on my own. There was actually a movement among Muslims already started in Bangladesh. Uh, We got there in 94. That movement had started right at that time. They had 20,000 Muslims who had become followers of Jesus. And so I got to, by that time, I'd learned the language. We'd gone inside that movement and said, when you share the gospel with your relatives, with Uncle Abdullah and Aunt Fatima, how are you sharing that with them? So I became a student of that and learned how they were sharing the gospel with their relatives. Then we took what we learned and went to other parts of Bangladesh. We saw six movements break out uh, among that uh, the Muslims there. Six of them that they had, each of those six had gotten over a thousand baptisms each. And still to this day, they continue to grow. Uh, one of those movements has planted churches in all 64 districts uh, across the country of Bangladesh. Here's one thing I've learned about movements that I want to teach you. And that is, when I would go into a village, I would be thinking, this is in a village in Bangladesh. I'm thinking, Lord, I'm coming in this village. You've put the gospel inside of me. I'm here to share it with these people. I would share the gospel and then walk out of that village and go back to another village or go uh, back home. Then I would say a prayer. Lord, I have planted seed in that village there. I'm asking that from heaven that you will rain down your spirit and water those seeds and make them grow. I prayed that prayer for a good long time. Finally, the Lord, after time after time of experiencing uh, this kind of prayer and this situation, I began to realize that I wasn't first in those villages. If you'll let me uh, read to you John chapter 5. Those of you who have been through that old training called Experiencing God, that I don't know if you, how many of you have been through Experiencing God? 
It's been a, a generation ago. It probably needs to be come back. Uh, anybody that serves on my mission team, you have to go through that study of experiencing God because it is so foundational and that it's important that you understand that before you start working out there among lost people, the Father is already at work. John chapter 5, verse 17 is what the verse, the key verse that Henry Blackaby uses. Now, Jesus is actually answering a Pharisee here, but uh, we learn something inside of his answer. He says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Randy Owens and I begin to take the gospel inside mosque, not just going inside Muslim villages, but we learned that uh, we could actually go into a mosque and in a polite, respective way, we could sit down with Muslims inside that mosque and share the gospel with them. This would be about um, 2007, uh, 2007, right about there. I was in a mosque in uh, just south of Delhi. In this mosque, it was 300 years old. I remember that. There were about 100 Muslims all lined up, all men. They uh, said their prayers. I sat in the back, waited my turn. And when they finished, about 25 to 30 of them gathered around me because I am so not Indian. I mean, uh, Holly and I, we've learned to speak Bangla, one of the languages over there, over there, but I speak it with a South Texas accent. And so they knew I'm not from there. And so they gather around and I began uh, little by little sharing with them. Here's what I learned. Share the gospel. And, and of course, no Muslim right there in front of their friends are going to raise their hand and say, me, 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 I'm the one who you've been looking for. I'm the one that want to receive, uh, receive Christ as my Savior. It doesn't happen that way. But we've learned to, to do that, share the gospel, but leave slowly to give that person a chance. So that night, it was around uh, 8 o'clock at night that I shared the gospel inside there with these 25 to 30 Muslims gathered around. I walked out, and I learned to walk out slowly, give that person who I'm looking for a chance to come and find me. Out in the parking lot where it's dark, two Kashmiri Muslim boys come over and pull on my shirt and say, Hey, I, uh, I really listened to you tonight, and I want to I know more about this. And I said, well, you can uh, come to my, I'm staying at a negative two-star hotel just over here. Come and you can join me tonight. We'll stay up and we'll talk about it. For some reason, it was late. I think by this time it was 11 o'clock at night. And they said, we'll come tomorrow night. And so uh, I'm praying that morning, Lord, these two guys are coming to my hotel tonight. Had another missionary with me. We prayed, Lord, what should we share tonight? And so we felt impressed to share the story of the prodigal son. Here come the two boys. They came, young guys, maybe in their uh, mid-twenties, Muslims. They came to the hotel room. We sat down. It's a very small room, just enough for me to sit on my bed and the Kashmiri guy sit at the end of my bed and the other missionary there and uh, the other guy sit there at the end of his bed. And so I began saying, guys, I want to tell a story to you. And the young man sitting at the end of my bed put out his hand and said, wait. 
And then he just began looking all around the room. And uh, we're looking at him kind of strange. Even his friend is looking at him like, are you okay? And finally he stops and says, I've been here before. And uh, I mean, he lived not far from there. We're thinking, great, you've been to, can I finish the story? He said, no, no, you don't understand. I've never been to this hotel before. He said, two nights ago in a dream, I saw you and you and my friend sitting here, and you were sharing a, a powerful story. Um, now, that has happened over and over. I've, I've done a lot of research on this because I'm interested in this phenomenon of Muslims having dreams before I get there. I've even been in a dream after I've already shared the gospel with a person down in the Maldives down there. He called me up and said, you got to come back down here. You were in my dream and you were pointing out that that Bible that he had just thrown over in the corner of his house, the Lord had come to him in a, in a vision of a man in a white robe. I wonder who that could be. And uh, the man in the white robe said, that book that Kevin, he used my name, that book that Kevin gave you, pick it up and read it. Uh, he ignored it. And then one week later, again, another same vision, pick up that book and read it. And on the third time, the voice was like a thunder uh, clap. And it scared him. And he went over there, began reading that. And uh, he was baptized after I had come down there to, to clear all that up with him. Muslims are coming to faith in Christ in numbers that we've never seen before. Uh, one friend of mine, actually my supervisor with Global Gates, wrote a book called A Wind in the House of Islam, where he's gone around the world doing research on this thing that we keep hearing about Muslims in large numbers coming to faith in Christ. Of course, you don't hear that. That, that doesn't make the news, and because of security reasons... Missionaries are kind of reluctant in sharing uh, that kind of information. And you don't read that here and there. I mean, people can get hurt if certain pieces of information get out there and get tied back to them. But I'm here to tell you, uh, David Garrison wrote a book where he researched uh, from the beginning of Islam. Now, Muhammad is 600 years after Jesus. And from that point until today, we've got 1,400 years of Islamic history. And what he did was he went back to see if there was any time in the history of Islam where at least a 1,000 Muslims converted to Christianity. He's looking for that. He has a Ph.D. in church history, and so he began looking for that. And his benchmark was at least a 1,000 because because that's hard to hide. You know, Muslims have come to faith in Christ through the centuries, but we're looking for in large numbers, what we would call a movement. We're looking for that. So in the first, all the way from the year 600, all the way up to 1990, that's a lot of Islamic history right there, we can only find 13 movements in that period of time, from the beginning of Islam all the way to 1990, more Christians were joining Islam, mostly because of a threat of a sword, but more Christians were joining Islam than the other way around, Muslims joining Christianity. 
But something began to roll about. In, 19, from in the 1990s, you can say that decade, 1990 to 2000, we saw four movements among Muslims in large numbers. In Iran, which is the largest, and you're keeping up with the news, you know that this is the largest movement in history of Muslims coming to faith in Christ. And still to this day, nobody can put a number on it. I've heard the lowest number, 300,000. I've heard the biggest number of missionaries saying at least 3 million Iranians have walked out of Islam, Shia Islam, into Christianity. Uh, we like to give thanks to the Ayatollah because he has made Islam so ugly, so hideous, so dark that Muslims are pouring out. They're going towards uh, becoming atheist or they're coming to Christ in large numbers. Then in Indonesia, we saw a movement in the 90s break out there. We saw in North Africa among the Berbers, more than 300,000 Berbers, these uh, Arab-speaking Muslims, came out and uh, are following Christ. And then the one in Bangladesh that I told you about, 20,000 Muslims, former Muslims, walking into Christianity, baptized, forming churches. These are movements that have been taking place. I told you, so that's, that's a total of uh, 17 movements from the beginning of Islam all the way up to the year 2000. From 2000, I actually like to say from September 11th, 2001... All the way up to 2013, by the time that David Garrison had finished his research of traveling around the world, there have been a total of 69 movements. Remember the definition of movement? At least 1,000 in one place in a short period of time of uh, Muslims coming to faith in Christ. We can identify 69 that have broken out around the world. When is the best day to share the gospel with Muslims? Today, you're living in it. Your grandkids are going to be asking you, uh, those of you young couples, your grandkids are going to be asking you, did you live in that period of time where this big block of, it's like God just said, I'm going to lower my spirit on the Islamic world. Now, what answer are you going to give? Are you going to say, um, I never heard about that? Or are you going to say, yes, we knew about it. We were a part of it. I actually found, did you know that there's about 1,300 Muslims that live within a 10-mile radius of this church? I got out on the internet this morning. I subscribed to a very special program out there. It's very powerful. And I got on there this morning just to do a 10-mile radius. It's mostly to the north and to the east of here is where your Muslims live. But over 1,300 Muslims, you don't even have to go to the mission field They've done us a favor, haven't they? They are coming here and living among us. And you could be the person to share the gospel with them. The secret to a movement, here it is. The secret to a movement is to understand the Father is at work among that people group. That 1,300 Muslims that live within a 10-mile radius of here, you need to put on new lenses here and see them not as a threat. You need to see that the Father is at work among the 1,300. Your job and my job 
is to find where the Father is at work. How, how do you find where the Father is at work in a people group? You lift up Jesus. It's not just living good, holy lives. It's opening your mouth just like we did in the New Testament and share the gospel with them. Are you going to get rejections? Well, you're not living in the New Testament if you're not seeing rejections. It's part of what happens when you are a New Testament Christian. But every once in a while, and this is what we were looking for. We were looking for a needle in a haystack. That one Muslim who will come out of that group. You, you see, Muslims are not listening to this. I, am, I just told you I don't speak Bangla very well. I speak it with, a, with an accent. I am so not into their lives. I'm so not Muslim. But when one of theirs comes to faith in Christ... And turns around and has a burning in their heart what God has done to them. When they turn around and say, listen folks, listen to me. Here's what happened in my life. You need to come with me. They will either kill him, they will ostracize him, or they will listen to him. This is how movements start. This is what, when we go into mosque, when we go into these countries... Uh, Pakistan and, and, and Maldives and the, these Muslim countries, we're looking for that person. We're looking for that one person who will not only receive Christ, but who will turn around and share. I was in Austin, um, this would be about three years ago, went into an Indian grocery store and I found a small guy in there and, uh, you know, Bengalis are small people. I, I'm kind of a short guy, but in, in Bangladesh, uh, I wish I would have started a basketball team while I was there. Because I've always been the shortest guy on the basketball court. But in Bangladesh, I'm the tallest guy out there. And so I noticed him. I noticed that uh, the color of his skin. And I, I'm in an Indian grocery store. So I just started speaking Bangla with him. Well, he's not Bengali, but he understands Bangla. And uh, he's a Rohingya. Rohingya are next to the Syrian crisis right now, this, this refugee crisis going on around the world. The Rohingya are next in the list of uh, major problems, catastrophes that's happening out there. These are Muslims running for their lives out of Burma, out of Myanmar, trying to find new life because they're not welcome in, in Burma. This is a Buddhist country. And so they're fleeing, and they're fleeing into Bangladesh. And so I walked up to him. He's uh, grocery uh, stacking on the shelves there. And so I asked him, uh, hey, can I, you got just a minute? I want to say something to you. So I began sharing the gospel with him. He stopped me and said, hey, I've been waiting for somebody to share this with me. I will stay up all night. I get off at 10 o'clock tonight. I will stay up all night to hear this. By 5 a.m., he became a follower, him and Muhammad that was staying with him became followers of Christ. Three months later, I grabbed uh, six volunteers from Houston, and we went to Bangladesh to go down on the border of Myanmar, where all these refugees are, these Rohingya refugees. And we found that uh, person, his name is Abdul in Austin, who came to faith in Christ. We found Abdul's 
house, his wife, his family are there, and we shared the gospel with them. Well, that wasn't the only thing that we did. I love on the mission field that we can take the scriptures, and uh, it just seems like a more friendly environment. So I opened my Bible to Luke chapter 10, where Jesus had 70 or 72 disciples and sent them out. I've always wanted to do that. And on the mission field, uh, I reached over into one of those movements that uh, Holly and I had worked with and had started. They have about 30,000 followers today from Islam into Christianity. And so I went to the leader and said, can I borrow 66 of your guys? He said, why do you want 66? I said, because I got six Americans that are coming over. And that makes a total of 72, doesn't it? So I said... I want us to do exactly what Jesus did. He sent them out. Um, now, he told them to preach and heal. Uh, I don't know about Lee, but have you ever had a class in seminary about healing? Somehow, us Baptists have missed that. I've not gotten any training on that. We had to go out and uh, to revamp that and rework that. And so we went out preaching and healing. Basically, we'd walk into the village there and say, does anybody need prayer? Okay, how hard is that? And we would stop and we would pray for people. Out of, uh, there were, uh, after they had all come back and reported, after three days, we had, uh, I, I don't know what to do with this. There were, they said that there were about 20 miracles that took place. Uh, I don't know what to do with when people say, I feel better. I, I don't know what to, category to put that into. But we had 18, I feel better. But we had uh, two that we could not explain. One man had a fishbone in his throat, and uh, the, the guy from Houston, the volunteer, prayed, and uh, this guy said he's had it for quite a long time, and uh, that fishbone just suddenly dislodged, and uh, uh, the guy said, I'm all ears. Tell me anything you want to tell me. And so uh, so began sharing. Well, out of that, uh, that week, uh, I'm sorry, three days of 72 people out sharing, we had um, 682 people heard the gospel in that three-day period of time. 399 of these Muslims said, yes, I want this. I pray and receive Christ as my Savior now. Now, that doesn't, 399 is a very unusual number. But remember, Rohingya Muslims have nothing going for them in life. The gospel is so good to people in a situation like that. Out of that 399, I began to sit with those. I, it took me a day and a half to meet with the, all the teams that had gone out. Two by two, I'd sent them out, just like Jesus did. And I said, with each of those teams, tell me, did you have anybody say yes to Jesus? They would tell me how many. Then I would say, tell me... Did any of those people that say yes say, this is good for me? Come with me to my house and share that with all the people in here. Share it with my family members. Sometimes they would say, no, we didn't have that. But we had a person who received Christ. And then he would say to the crowd, be quiet. <laughs> he would quieten, listen to what this guy is saying. Well, we narrowed that 399 down to 9. There were nine who had prayed to receive Christ who gave us an indicator that he was a multiplier, meaning 
He's going to take the gospel and share it. He's talking that way. He's taking us to the house. He's showing us that he's a multiplier. Now, after uh, three months, the volunteers that had come, I asked two of those that were on the team, I said, you know how to go to Bangladesh. I showed you how to get a visa. I showed you how to go there. And I sent two from that team over there three months after we had returned, and they baptized. They saw, they didn't baptize, but they saw that there were 55 that had been baptized from the nine. We just began tracing it. And then three months later, I sent two more of those team members back over there. Our volunteer teams have a lot of fun. I keep just sending them back over there to do the follow-up. So this would be around Christmas time where they went back and there were 155 that were baptized that we could trace off of the original nine. And then by Easter time, I sent back two other guys and it was well over 300. This is how a movement starts. Number one, you believe God is at work. Not you. I mean, you're at work, but you're not doing like I used to do where I'd go into a village, pray, uh, sow the seed, walk out, and then pray that God would do something. Wrong. (laughs) Put on new glasses. God is already at work in those villages. God is already at work among the, I looked up, there's 4,300 Buddhists within the 10-mile radius of this church. Among the 4,300, God is already at work. You don't have to make something happen. Something is already happening. All you have to do is find it and join it. I tell missionaries, you saw that Jesus went out by himself and modeled it for his disciples. Then you see him sending out 12. And then you see him sending out 70 or 72 and then by the time he gets down the whole team gets down to jerusalem there's 120 that he has on his discipleship team sharing the gospel and then you had the movement that broke out in jerusalem i tell people that if we work together we can find where god is at work 950 uh hindus within a 10-mile radius of the church here. 4,300 Buddhists within a 10-mile radius. 1,300 Muslims within a uh, 10-mile radius here. If we work together, we can find that needle in a haystack. That's what Global Gates, what we're doing over in Sugar Land, where the big bulk of uh, least evangelized, the Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, and Sikhs, Over there, we're trying to find that needle in a haystack. With new missionaries, I tell them, look, you will not start a movement. I know that's what you want to do. I know that's what you want to be a part of. You will likely not start a movement. You are so not like those people out there. In fact, I'm not sure that God actually wants you to start a movement. Your job is to find the person who's going to start the movement. Does that make it just a little bit easier? You find that movement catalyst, that Hindu who comes to faith in Christ, that Muslim who comes to faith in Christ, and will turn around and win 10 times more than what we... You know, the parable of the good soil, this shouldn't be new news to you. I mean, he tells them he sows broadly, and yet there's rejection, then there's acceptance, but no reproduction. There's acceptance, but no reproduction. And then there's this guy who receives Christ... 
and he has 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. That's not fruits of the Spirit. That's souls that he's winning. And Jesus has given us this model right there. I tell new missionaries, if I had a haystack, 10 feet tall, 10 feet wide, and I put a needle inside that haystack last night. Now, your job is to find, by yourself, find that needle in a haystack. By the way, they always cheat. They say, can I use a metal detector? Can I use a magnet? Can I use a match? And I say, no, can't use any of that stuff. Just the old-fashioned, find a needle in a haystack this way. How long would it take you? And that missionary says, I don't know, maybe a lifetime to find that needle in a haystack. So that's right. It'll take a long time. But if you go and train 12 other people, I'll, get you, I'll, I'll let you go train 12 other people how to find a needle in a haystack. Now how long will it take you? Much shorter time. We don't know. Maybe we're talking about hours instead of days and weeks. Maybe hours we can find that needle in a haystack. And then I tell them, hey, I'm going to allow you to go get 70 or 72 friends of yours. Train them how to find a needle in a haystack. Now how long will it take you to find that needle? We're talking minutes. Hay going everywhere. Somebody's going to find it. That's the training that we are trying to give. God is at work among the Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, even among those who are Americans that are just lost in our community. God is at work. We're inside the church right now. I can't help but believe that somebody on their bed last night going to sleep in this community, somebody had a powerful conviction of lostness. They were, maybe they were visited in a dream. I don't know. But the Lord is doing what he said he was doing by speaking to people and to their hearts. God is at work. He's waiting on us to come together with, with energy and to to have a sense of lostness for, and, and compassion for the people that are lost, for us to come together and go find that needle in a haystack. That's the invitation for you. I, I will pray. Lee, you come on. Dear Heavenly Father, we slept very well last night, but you did not. You were at work, just like you said you would, And even today, you're working in hearts of people outside these walls. Lord, give us new eyes to see. Open the eyes of your servant to see where you are at work. Open up our hearts. Cover our sin and those scales that blind our eyes. Open us to see where you, Father, are at work. And let your servants be a part of that journey, Lord. Help us to find a needle in a haystack among the Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists that live right here in our community, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org slash give.